0: Amen. Amen.
1: There, we are. Uh, we we looked at chapter one and we did some background on the book of Judith. Um, but let's just do some quick review um, of that background. Um, we have um, here uh, a book which. Um, and I say, it's one of those books that uh, was removed uh, from the Protestant Bibles by Martin Luther. Um, I told you though, it's interesting um, because you have a lot of musical oratorios and things from the Renaissance period that, uh, that pick up on the story of Judas, just like first, first and second Maccabees, you have a big thing by Handel on that. And, and, and so that even these um, men who lived in Protestant lands Particularly, Handel, they've um, already lived in a Catholic country, but um, the, um, you'll, you'll find that the, the first edition of the King James Bible did have these books. And therefore, at the time of, say, Handel, when he wrote uh, not just Messiah, but he also wrote other oratorios, among them, one of his most popular was First and Second Maccabees. <laughs> or the book you know it's just simply judas Maccabeus is the name of the oratorio and uh those books were well known to the uh to the um uh english people at that time because as i say it was only later that the books were taken out of the King james Bible by a later king so um th- these books have been in and out and so on and Judith is one of them so you'll find that uh, that uh, not just vivaldi but other Composers, I believe, including Handel, set set the Book of Judith to music, and I'll play you a few bars of something tonight. Um, let you hear some some of that uh, from the uh, one by Vivaldi. But anyway, um, so this book is uh, for all the historical reasons we don't have time to cover right now was removed uh, by Martin Luther, and then later by the English uh, Bible, the King James Bible. Okay. Now, there are some things about the book of Judith that make us uh, ponder whether this is an historical book or it's more of a, in the form of a heroic story. First of all, the title, Judith. Um, Judith is translated, just means a Jewish woman. So, and, and she's presented, uh, there, are, there are some themes that are presented here. Basically the fundamental theme of this book is spiritual warfare. And that we have to engage in a battle for the for God and the things of God in this world, and so it presents uh, a story where uh, G- Israel is facing an almost impossible enemy uh, to defeat, and they're they're surrounded, uh, and 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 the, there's a war machine coming after them, and so the so the questions. Uh, We we often feel this, you know, this sort of insurmountable odds as we face a world that's increasingly uh, um, uh, violently opposed to the scriptures and uh, to the point where even in neighboring Canada now, you can actually be arrested for mispronouncing somebody. Uh, You know, they're a man, but they want to be referred to as a woman. And if you fail in that regard, you can actually be arrested. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, it's beginning to surround us and it's closing in its jaws. And the question is, you know, what do we do? It, it gets increasingly troublesome and fearsome. And we can feel overwhelmed too. So, right now, if you, as the opening book, the opening chapter of this book says, they're feeling utterly overwhelmed as they see this war machine. <laughs> uh, dragging through, and I'll, I'll, I'll take out the map and show you the regions, but all these regions to the west, I'm sorry, to the east of them, uh, where this war machine is cranking along. And they feel overwhelmed. They think they're, they're you know, they, they're like sitting ducks, and what are we going to do? Now, as we also talked about a little bit last week, there are different ways to win a war. You know, there's an old saying, you know, the race does not always go to the swift. Um, so, but this is also true in, in war that the, the race does, or the, the victor to the victor does not always go the one with just the biggest army or the most missiles. Uh, right now, for example, in Ukraine, there is a, a, a huge war machine. Russia is utterly huge. Uh, they vastly outnumbered the Ukrainians. Um, they have vastly number, large numbers of larger numbers of missiles and so on. So what the Ukrainians resort to and what we've seen in many places where there's this huge, like like when we were in Vietnam, for example, you find an insurgency that rises up, a kind of a guerrilla warfare, where small tactical units take incredible damage against this war machine. So the idea isn't to just get bigger than the war machine you're opposing. But to be more tactical, more ability, more able to sprint qu- quickly and, and get in and out of things. So that might be true from just simple questions of warfare, but it's also true in spiritual warfare. So for example, we see King David. Remember, he was um he was such an insignificant little fellow that his father, when his he was told to round up the, the sons, one of them would be anointed king. He never even thought to go out in the in the fields and find snot-nosed little David out there tending the sheep and bring him in. Um, clearly, he's not the one. So anyway, but God, you know, God says, no, he is the one. And um, we we know that at a critical moment, when the Philistines were coming against the, the Jewish people, uh, everyone's quaking in their boots. And finally, there's this uh, Goliath that, that shows up and taunts the Israelis, Israelites. And David agrees to go and confront him. And he's given all this armor and stuff. And he says, I can't wear this stuff. I'm not a trained soldier. I need to fight the way I know how to fight. And so he throws the armor aside and brings his slingshot. And you know the rest of the story. He doesn't beat this big war machine in the Philistines by using a war machine that he has no familiarity with. Uh, And again, we see other examples of this, you know, like Gideon, your army's too large. Tell the cowards to go home. God thins the ranks from 30,000 men down to 300 and I will be with you. And so, uh, to go against this juggernaut coming at them, God wants a small tactical force that wins the day or Jehoshaphat is confronted by three armies coming at him on all sides. And, um, uh, they, um, he's terrified. And, and, uh, but a prophet says, you don't have to fight this fight. God, this, this, uh, the battle is the Lord's and, uh, So in the next morning, he's told to send the choir out, not the army, but the choir out first and the army behind it. And they just all they do, they win by singing the praises of Israel. They win with a choir. And all the forces of the the, the nations coming against them were scattered. And not a man was left alive uh, out in the field. They just went and collected the bodies. So, again, we see this. in now also, we also there's another paradigm that were, many of us are familiar with, that of Star Wars. And you've got this Death Star that is unbelievably powerful, can just take out whole planets, um, blow them up. You know, 30, 300 million people, boom, just killed like that by one little zap from the Death Star. You've got Darth Vader and this whole force of the Empire arrayed against this little group of rebels. And again, how do they win the day? You know, uh, not by getting their own Death Star, but by um, by um, kind of uh, the likes of Luke Skywalker, just a little kid who flew through who flew through canyons, and um, he uses uh, he turns off finally he turns up all these computers and stuff they use, and he just flies the way he knows how to and hits the Death Star right at his vulnerable spot, uh, just just kind of single-handedly. Uh, and so again, these are examples to us that in spiritual warfare we may sometimes feel overwhelmed by the culture that we're in or the forces arrayed against us but God has his way of um, winning in small tactical and unspecified ways so let's look at some other examples uh, in church history as well but first of all Jesus what is what how does how does the Lord come and deal with this problem well, he doesn't do it the way we would. He doesn't bring a huge host of angels. He comes and he lives largely as a, as a, work, a member of the working poor in a little hit town named Nazareth, where they had a phony accent. And he spends 30 years as a, just a laborer. And then three years, he steps forth. He preaches and teaches. Three hours, he goes up on a cross and defeats Satan. Prior to that, how did he get into Satan's lair in the first place? He snuck in behind line, behind enemy lines. He was born at Bethlehem, uh, a city very humble and not on anybody's map. And he he catches Satan unawares. Or again, let's go now to church history. When the church has been in trouble, it's usually one or two people that save it. So in the fourth century, there was a huge, huge problem with Arianism, uh, the denial of the divinity of Christ. And one or two men saved the church from this, Athanasius and St. Nicholas. Uh, so almost almost, you know, each of them single handedly won a battle against this or go to the 13th century and the church is in deep trouble. I can tell you the way they got out of trouble wasn't to get bishops to meet on some blue ribbon panel and come up with some biggie wow project. So all of a sudden, some weird dude named Francis of Assisi starts wandering around. And after him, St. Dominic starts wandering around. They form these little beggar orders, the Dominicans and the Franciscans. And the next thing you know, the whole church is being reformed or St. Catherine, or a St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, this is what God often does. So you see, what you want to be aware of is that at times, a lot of this book just shows an overwhelming war machine coming against Israel. Well, how are they going to win the day? And the book of Judas says, this is how you win the day. One widow and her slave girl. And they they win the day, all right? So, and by the way, she, uh, w- we'll see how there's a lot of... Um, references again to judith's virtue and so on but at the end of the day it's not the way you would think you're going to win a war against some huge juggernaut of a of a war machine coming at you like a death star okay so the, the there's a lot to learn here about spiritual warfare when it comes to how god acts and um we can sometimes feel outnumbered five loaves two fishes but what good is that huh? Well, I'm here, says the Lord. That's, that's what, so bring me your five loaves and two fishes, and we're going to resolve this. But the point is, um, it, God does not always just work with vast numbers. He often uses a small, faithful remnant, and he, um, he does what he does the way he does it. So that's what we want to try to learn from this book. Now, to review then chapter one, last week, we were looking at a chapter one, and already there is a, a problem that sets up in the book. Um, we see that um there is here um I'm just going to get to my chapter one so if you're you know uh, Judith, go to just chapter one, we see that uh there is a um an enormous um conquest that uh nebuchadnezzar uh t- does he, he in effect conquers the Assyrian empire and becomes not just the Babylonian king but now the the uh, king of the assyrians um he takes their their biggest most fortified city with with the, the the numbers are just astonishing numbers you know uh the the walls are are you know are 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 you know 16 feet thick and uh uh they're 70 cubits high which means 200 200 uh, you know over 300 oh, close to 300 feet high um the huge towers, fortified towers, uh, four or 500 feet high. Uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar with his general whole just mows the place down. Oh. It's, it's like a, it's like a juggernaut, a war machine coming. And so there it's, it's, it's very, very, very huge war machine. It's told in epic terms. And this also makes us aware that this is not so much an historical book as it's kind of an epic tale. Uh, for example, was Job an historical figure or is he told in the form of an epic tale that once was a man named Job? Like for example, Star Wars a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, is that what this is? I'm, I'm gonna take it that way because I think it's told with, with, with details that are so over the top in terms of numbers that it's trying to paint a picture more than you would do like in a novel. Or how many of you have seen all those adventure movies like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Independence Day. Remember that huge, incredible alien Mm -hmm. ship that just comes and blows up everything in sight, you know? And I mean, we don't stand a chance. We're just sitting ducks. And once again, they have to find how to find the vulnerable spot and and do a kind of a guerrilla warfare to fight it. But it's told in that type of genre, right? Like an epic tale. All right. Now... Verse um, seven and following, um, Nebuchadnezzar wants some of the inhabitants of the seacoast in places like what we call today the Holy Land and Lebanon and Syria, um, and he, he wants them to join him in a battle against Egypt. He wants to go conquer it, but they, they don't want to go along. They refuse to join him. And this then will seal their fate. Nebuchadnezzar is utterly furious, utterly furious with this. And he's going to order them to all be destroyed. Okay. So that's kind of what we're going to pick up now with chapter two. All right. So, um, we, I'm just trying to do some quick review of what we did last week. All right. Are we ready now in chapter two? Um, now would somebody like to read, um, I'll read part of the thing today, but this first part doesn't have too many crazy names. You got Nebuchadnezzar, but I think you know how to say that. Uh, But would somebody like to read uh, here maybe the first, uh, let's, let's read a big chunk of it. The first 13 verses. Anyone? I don't see any. Okay, Liz, go ahead.
2: Then Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Assyrians, sent to all who lived in Persia and to all who lived in the West, those who lived in Silica and Damascus and Mm -hmm. Lebanon and the, I don't know how to say that one, and all who lived along the East, the sea coast and those among the nations of Carmel, and Gilead, and upper G- Gilead, and the Great Plain, and Estrion, sorry, and all who were in Sy- uh, Samaria, and its surrounding towns, and beyond the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, and no. Bethany.
1: Um Liz, I'm sorry, I don't think you're reading... Where I am, I chapter, chapter two,
2: two right? I, chapter two, yes. I'm sorry, two. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I was looking at the <laughs> paragraph two. I'm so sorry, mom Monsignor. No.
1: Okay, <laughs> well, I can go ahead and pick up if you want.
2: It's hard when you only got one good working eye. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, no, no. Look, I'll take over for now. Let's just get chapter two underway. So I'm in okay. chapter two, verse one. In the 18th year, in the 22nd day of the first month, there was a discussion in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Assyrians, about taking revenge on all the lands as he had threatened. Remember, because they, they refused to go along with him in a, in a military campaign where he wanted their assistance and they refused. So verse two, he summoned all of his attendants and officers and laid before them a secret plan. And with his, and with his own lips, he recounted in full detail the wickedness of all the lands. Uh, they decided to destroy all who had refused to obey the order he had issued. And when he fully recounted his plan, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Assyrians, summoned hol- 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 fairness, uh, the ranking general of his forces, second only to himself in command, and said to him, thus says the great king, the lord of all the earth, go forth from my presence and take with you men of proven valor. Now look at these numbers again. Uh, 120,000 infantry and 12,000 cavalry and proceed against all the land of the West, because they disobeyed the order that I issued. Tell them to have earth and water ready, for I will come against them in my wrath. I will cover all the land with the feet of my soldiers, to whom I will deliver them as spoils. Their wounded will fill the ravines and wadis, the swelling river will be choked with their dead, and I will deport them as exiles to the very ends of the earth. Yes, go before me and take possession of all their territories. If they surrender to you, guard them for me until the day of their sentencing. As for those who disobey, show them no mercy, but deliver them up to slaughter and plunder in all the land you occupy. For as I live and by the strength of my kingdom, what I have spoken, I will accomplish by my own hand. Do not disobey a single one of these orders of your Lord, fulfill them exactly as I have commanded you and without delay. Okay, now, in effect, there will be no compromises. Since they did not comply, their penalty is death or slavery. So uh, let's broaden this out now to the kind of spiritual warfare that we're in. Spiritual warfare, we must understand that our our enemy Satan and his worldly minions are not interested in compromise either. They will. They will sometimes march, you know, under the banners of tolerance, you know, and open-mindedness, but they don't really mean it. Um, and when they gain power at all, all talk <laughs> of power disappears, and you and I will comply or suffer increasing penalties. Huh? In other words, you know the old saying: blessings will continue until the. Uh, I'm sorry. Beatings will continue until morale improves. You know? <laughs> so. All right, um it, it, it's not so now, look, what, what I'm, I going just say this to you. Um, it's when the, when you go against the world and its latest whatever, it's not just that and, and you't and you don't go along with the world, it's not going to say, "Oh well, too bad, I'll, I'll go find somebody else who will join me. You must be destroyed." Um, you, you, you—you're not just uninformed or old-fashioned or of a different opinion. You're dangerous, and you're hateful, and you're—you're you're not going along. You're not—you're not, you're not resetting the narrative, and you must be destroyed. And so, you know, again, they will march under the bon- temporarily under the banners of tolerance. Oh, tolerate—you know, gay marriage, tolerate. Uh, transgenderism and, and, and now as soon as they gain any power or ascendancy though suddenly if you don't celebrate friday and put that rainbow on and show up at work and you know take all these different color balloons or go to the gay pride thing if you don't if you don't go along with this transgender whatever day you, you know you're you're, you're you're in trouble and like i told you right now there are countries in this world not far from us like canada where you can actually be arrested for using the wrong pronouns for somebody. Um, and uh, for not saying that two plus two equals five, that, that is our version, which is that a man can have a baby. That a, a man can be pregnant, that is just absurd. But if you don't go along with it, you know, you can be in big trouble. You can be, be let like, go. Oh, there's this kid now, I don't know if you heard about this, like uh, he wore a t-shirt that says there are only two genders. And they kick them out of school. Meanwhile, you can go ahead and say there's 50 genders and play that side of the aisle. But if you don't recite the narrative, you got to go. And I mean, that may sound like a small, you know, punishment, but it's going to increase, you see. Likewise, you know, you heard the old, you know, bake me a cake, you bigot. You know, if you don't go along with uh, and give services to all kinds of things, um, you know, like it's associated with so-called gay weddings, you know, you can be. (laughs) Punished, sued, um, and and so on. Or again, I th- I told you the story before about Catholic charities. Uh, we reasonably concluded at Catholic charities that the best scenario for a child who needs to be adopted, they find a married mother and father. And they said, Oh no no no! You have to show no favoritism to that kind of a couple. You have to equally hold equally gay couples or a single mother or a single man. And we said, no, that's just not sociologically, anthropologically, you know, it doesn't make any sense. No, well then, so they just kicked us to the curb. they decertified it. They that you can no longer do adoptions uh, in the District of Columbia, see? And so this is where this stuff goes, all right? You know, in other words, you have to be prepared to suffer, all right? And increasingly, the power of the the government, uh, whether local, or the power, also of large corporations, um, and so on, is being used to compel, to compel lots of uh, things that that we go along with things that our own scriptures say are not of God. And there will be no mercy. <laughs> and this is something that we're having to fight in the courts now, and right now we're winning a lot of these things here in America, but in other parts of the world they're not winning. They don't have a constitution like we do but even our own constitution could be easily whittled away and uh they you know and so on so i'm just going to leave i don't want to sound so alarmist but i want you to understand that this isn't just some what we're reading here of a king who said look they didn't go along with my plan so they need to be eliminated is not so far from what what can and does happen about these other areas whether in a a slightly more mitigated way or even in a worse way but it's increasingly going to be the true the fact that simply to quote the bible is going to be criminalized in many parts of the world because the bible says things like a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman is an abomination Uh oh that's hate speech you're under arrest and so on so again it's a little bit like Vernon Johns, you know, talking about uh, racism, quote unquote, stirring up some trouble. And so they come into the church and arrest him and take him down to the courthouse in the middle of the service. I mean, these things aren't just something from the old Jim Crow past. These are things that still go on today in different settings. And um, I think, so I don't want to sound too alarmist, but I think if we're going to gear up for spiritual warfare, we have to understand that we're going to have to suffer and there will be punishments and penalties. That will come our way because we if we don't just go along and go with the flow. All right. Now, <clears throat> um, so again, it's not enough for us to you know, just to remain silent and about these things. We are compelled to celebrate. You must we must celebrate the evil that's promoted. You will smile. You will join with the pride celebrations here at the, at the corporation uh, um, or you're going to lose your job. Uh, now, look, I mean, let me also put it to you this way. Let's go up another level to Satan. And I want to tell you, I want to make you a promise. And this is worth taking down in writing. That Satan and this world will never be satisfied with any compromise. With, uh, until the, every last ounce of your integrity and your faith is gone. Until you belong to them whole and entire. Okay. You, so again, well, let's just kind of go along. Let's make some compromises. Let's, you know. It's, it's never, never going to be enough, right? And it may buy you twenty minutes of uh, of freedom, but at the end of the day, they're coming back at you with more. And so you start to see here that Nebuchadnezzar is 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 um, sort of symbolizing this this notion that look, they didn't go along with me, even though I was victorious in the battle. They didn't go along with me. They will now be destroyed for not following what I told them. Okay? And that's where we want to uh, sort of take this message of an ancient thing and spiritualize it, it's our struggle, okay? So the options are kind of stark, aren't they? Either compromise and lose your integrity and soul or resist and suffer many penalties. And I'm gonna just say that as clergy, we have not prepared God's people for this kind of thing. You know, we, most yeah. of us who are a little older, remember growing up in a time when the culture, that wasn't perfect. it was more in sync with the gospel message and you could kind of go along and be overtly religious and not suffer too many penalties but that is increasingly no longer the case and they're not just going to sit around and it started with nativity sets how dare you put this nativity set or this cross or this moses and the ten commandments in some public place you got to take that down we're taking you to court we're suing you and you're gonna you're not gonna put that there you know that was benign compared to the stuff that's going on now and it's just going to get worse now we've turned religion and not just clergy but all of us into a kind of a therapeutic oh it helps me to feel better and i'm concerned you know but again there there has to be an understanding too that we need to be uh, be very sober to listen to other things that our faith teaches us that jesus says it this way this is what jesus says If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I've called you out of the world, therefore, the world will hate you. No servant is greater than his master. If they've hated me, they're going to hate you too. Again, he said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but have confidence, i have overcome the world. Okay, so these then are things for us to be, I think, soberly aware of. All right not running around in a panic but we generally in the churches have not been preaching this idea of spiritual warfare and uh, that very often faith isn't just some therapeutic faith is going to involve suffering and if you have faith you're going to often suffer for it and that's been the normal christian experience if you really look at the history you know of faith all right and um okay so uh enough said there um you start to see that um Nebuchadnezzar will have nothing of it he says he does offer this veiled thing if they it says it says here I think it's up in verse um uh, well I'm going to pick up with verse seven tell them I I will come against them in my wrath I will cover the land with uh, the feet of my soldiers and so on oh yeah verse 10 go before me if they surrender to you guard them for me until the day uh, until the day of their sentencing in other words, there might be some, oh, if they surrender, but if they fight, just completely wipe them out. Not one person is to be left alive. Stomp them. If they do surrender, hold on to them till I come and give sentence. All right. Well, guess what? They're, they're still going to be doomed. All right. You know, it, no compromise is the point. Okay. All right. So um, does this sound extreme? Does it sound excessive? A bit. A bit. But on the other hand, uh, in spiritual warfare, which is this is a picture of, we also have to see that these things do confront us um, in maybe different ways and so on. But the idea that we can just go on compromising and just kind of um, overlooking and staying quiet only lasts for a fortnight. And then they're coming to knock on your door, okay? They're gonna ask you to find me something that you just either can't do, or if you do it, you'll know will be contrary to your conscience, okay? Now, um, all this... Um, vehemence uh, I wanna play you a few bars of the the musical um of the musical it's an oratorio by Vivaldi. um let me see if I can get there. um let's see gosh, I had it right here, and of course it's not there now. Uh, let's try this all right, here we are uh, right. Now, the, I want to read you the English translation. This is sung in Latin, but I want to read you the translation. It's a pretty good summary of what Holofernes just said. Uh, I want you to utterly crush them. I'm sending you out like a war machine. Chew them up and spit them out. Um, mm. And so here's the translation of some of the stuff. You, I'm only going to play about a minute and a half of it, okay? But it's, the, the translation, the Latin is arma, cadese, vindicte, furores. But here's the English weapons carnage vengeance fury famine fear oh they all precede us in circle give battle oh face of war a thousand wounds a thousand cuts a thousand deaths in flips and that's the translation of what you're about to hear so let's see um if for some reason this doesn't come across loud enough or whatever just kind of wave or something and let me know and i'll try to make some adjustments okay just letting you hear a little bit of the flavor
0: of this oratorio that was written by Vivaldi. No, no. Ah, not too bad.
1: There? Uh Better, no? Uh,
0: Mm. no. Huh, funny how it doesn't pick it up. Right. don't
1: oh, no. No? no? All right. No. That's too bad. Okay, by the way, it's stirring, I can tell you. <laughs> All right, enough said. Now, um, well, I'll skip that idea. Now, I want to take in, a map for a minute and share my screen and begin to show you, because we're going to get a lot of names and places, and it can kind of confuse you. But I, I at least want to introduce you to the um, to the concept of um, this. Let me just see. Why is it not appearing? <coughs> I'm having more trouble here. Let's see. Share my screen. How do I do that? <sighs> oh, what's <going> on here? <sighs>
2: Sorry.
1: okay there it is okay share all right now can you all see a map yes Yes. okay now this uh we're going to start reading uh a lot of names and places and so on so let me just associate you with this map over here do you see my little pointer Mm -hmm. Uh this is what we call the holy land see Jerusalem there so the Holy yeah. Land you've got, you've got here, like uh, the Dead Sea, and a little further up here, you've got um, you've got the dead the uh, Sea of Galilee, okay, So this is the Holy Land. And then um, the story takes place way over here in Assyria, in the t- in the city of Nineveh, where the army is gathered. And so what 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 goes on here is that the army begins, they set out toward Ashur. And they begin to just level towns and villages of all these areas that refuse to go along. And they work their way down to the Euphrates River here. Hopefully you can see that, all right? Yes. And then they work their way along the Euphrates, coming along the Fertile Crescent here. And then they plow down into the desert here and just wipe out every town. These are really worthy opponents of the the Israelites in the past, like the Moabites, the the Jebusites, the... uh, uh, all the other ites you can imagine, the Moabites, the Edomites, um, uh, they're all being wiped out by this war machine. And these were worthy opponents. You know, it's like watching China just, just chew up Russia and spit it out. Like, whoa, you know, this isn't just some third, you know, this third-rate country uh, who has no army. That's a, these were, These were warrior people, and they're being just chewed up and spit out. And then... This will probably end today with the army poised right here, just to the just to the east of the Holy Land, and they're going to come in uh, and 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 seek to destroy uh, this whole region here. Will they survive? You see, and that's where. But just so you get a sense of the, the territory we're talking about, it starts up here in Nineveh, the ancient country of Assyria, um, or you know, and. Um, And then they, they move their armies down through here and come along the Euphrates River, wiping out every town and village in sight, coming along and coming down into the desert region here just to the east, wiping every place out there and then poised there to now move in to what we call today the Holy Land and wipe it out. Okay, so that's. Kind of what we're about to see and we'll return to the map in a minute as you, after we read the text it might make a little more sense to you okay now let's go back then to um let me stop sharing my screen here come on where did you go oh too much technology y'all too much You'll get it. <laughs> just too much
2: and hey, Monsignor, M- 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 where are they coming up from?
1: From Nineveh. I just showed you on the map. Uh, yeah.
2: I, well. Right. So mm-hmm. they're starting from N- Nineveh. Okay. I'm trying to. Oh, okay. I see it. Oh, from Nineveh oh, down. Okay. Now yeah,
1: yeah. show sure. right. yeah, sure okay. to the Euphrates. Okay, we'll look at the map in again, a minute, but you got to, you know, I twice now I pointed that out. Nineveh, Nineveh, I had it right there for you. I hope I hope that you could see that. Okay, so we'll return to it. Now, back to our text. Um, I'll continue to read just because you were going to start to hit some crazy names and things like that. Okay, so again, but here's this, this all open up. There'll be no compromise. Everyone who doesn't go along with this plan of mine anyone who won't rec- you know put it in spiritual terms, anyone who won't recite the narrative drink the kool-aid and go along with all the latest crazy stuff about 50 genders or you know abortion or physician assisted suicide or you name it if you are not going to go along you are going to be decertified, you're going to be marginalized you're going to be set aside and we will come after you legally and we will render you poor and powerless and even put you in jail if we can so that's kind of uh, a translation into our situation of this type of a military juggernaut that's coming after them, a kind of a death star. How can we resist this? Now, there are then these campaigns of Holofernes. Remember, he's the general. Uh, the king is Nebuchadnezzar. But so again, verse 14, Holofernes left the presence of his lord and summoned all the commanders and generals and officers of the Assyrian forces. He mustered 120,000 picked troops as his lord commanded and 12,000 mounted archers. Look at these numbers, you see? And he drew them up as a vast force, organized for battle. And he took along a very large number of camels and donkeys and mules for carrying their supplies, innumerable sheep, cattle, goats for their food, abundant provisions for each man, and much gold and silver for the royal palace. Then he and all of his forces set out on their expedition in advance the uh, king Nebuchadnezzar to overrun all the land of the western region. That's west of, of, uh, you know, it's it's, it's west of um, Nineveh. Um, To overrun all the lands of the region with their chariots, their cavalry, and picked infantry, a huge irregular force, too many to count, like locusts, like the dust of the earth went along with them. So again, Look at this language, you know, Uh, you have things like a vast force, organized, very large numbers, innumerable troops, a huge irregular force, too many to count, like locusts, like the dust of the earth. You know, again, this, the resources, the machine that's coming against them is just, you can't, you can't resist it. It is coming for you and it chews up everything and spits it out. Now. Again, we, too, can feel overwhelmed with the forces of a culture. You know, uh, some of our uh, opponents of the biblical vision of the world, they, they own the media. They they own the music. They're in the entertainment. They, uh, they have all the power, the political influence in both parties. They seem to own all the corporations now. They've all gone woke and all this kind of stuff. We're just, they have the money. They have the power. We're just sitting here. And, you know, the best I can do is muster a little Bible study here online, you know? Okay. You see what I'm saying? We've just overwhelming forces arrayed against us. But we're not done with the story, y'all. Hello. Okay. So the battle does not always go to the big guy or the, the, to the swift. Huh? And by the way, when we went into Vietnam, just to show I'm not just going to deal with Russia here, but when we went into Vietnam, we were an irresistible force. I mean, my gosh, we could have gone in there and taken that country and taken the North in two weeks. There was no political will to do that. But we could have done it with all of our Air Corps, you know, our, running our aircraft carriers, and just, we didn't, we dabbled, but at the end of the day, how did they win the battle? They wore us down. Guerrilla insurrectionists, they taught young, they taught boys and women to fight. Uh, they blurred the lines between combatants and non-combatants. We went in there with this big, these big machines, and they fought us with, with very small tactical weapons, and they would, you know, uh, just surround and, uh uh, they were very stealthy. They knew they knew that country, and they just they just beat us. Same thing happened in Afghanistan, uh, especially to the Russians when they went there, and we to 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 a large degree us as well. You know, they don't win by having a bigger war machine. They have these small tactical forces that go around and just make life, you know, difficult for these big huge war machines. And the the I don't know if you remember uh, early on in the war with Ukraine, they were somehow able to target a huge. Uh, I think it was an aircraft carrier of the Russians and just sink that baby. I mean, that is a huge loss, you know, and um, all they required was a a group of uh, a a small group of soldiers to go and uh, blow the thing up. So, again, this is again, we want to just keep in mind, yes, this is a vast force, but you don't always win this way. Okay. now, verse twenty one. Because I want to try to get into Chapter Three here before we end tonight too. After a three-day march from Nineveh, now, some argue—you'll see a footnote maybe in your Bible—that's impossible to make a three-day march from Nineveh. Exactly. This is told. This is an epic tale that's told about an irresistible force, and it's—it's it's just it's like it's like the Death Star. Okay, you got Darth Vader. You know that kind of a stuff. You know, I am not amused. You know that kind of stuff. So think of <laughs> James Earl Jones' voice. You know, did you know? Okay, all right. So after a three-day march from Nineveh, they reached the plain of Bechtela, and opposite Bechdala near the north of Upper Cilicia. Now we're going to return to the map here. But now I'm reading that what I showed you on the map. Okay, they marched from Nineveh. Uh, toward the plain of Bechdelah, they camped opposite there. Verse 22, from there, Holofernes took all his forces infantry cavalry, chariots, marched into the hill country, and devastated Put and Lud, and plundered the Ressizites and the Ishmaelites on the border of the wilderness toward the south of the Chelians. And following the Euphrates, he went through Mesopotamia and battered down every fortified city along the Wadi Hebron, until he reached the sea. He seized the territory of Cilicia and cut down everybody who resisted him. Then he proceeded to the southern borders of Japhetha toward Arabia and surrounded all the Midianites, and burned their tents and sacked their encampments.
2: My, ear, my earbuds. All their,
1: uh, all their encampments. Um, uh, let's see. Um, verse 27 descending to the plain of Damascus at the time of the wheat harvest. He set fire to all their fields and destroyed their flocks and their herds, looted their cities, devastated their plains, and put all their young men to the sword. Wow, okay. Let me pull my map back up here if I can. Of course, not there. Come on. Try again. Try again. Here we are. Okay, now, can you see my, my map, Chris? Yes. yes. Okay, so I'm going to now try to read this text and sort of use my, my pointer here to show you this. After a three day march from Nineveh, so here's Nineveh, a three day march all the way down here through Ashur into this region here is called the Hill Countries. Uh, near um, uh, it says they reached the plain of Bechtela here, and they come up here into the hill country, um, and they devastate all the cities and towns there in that region. Um, it says that uh, from there, Holofernes took his um, he plundered the Rastites and the Ishmaelites. So let's look here. He comes down here near in this region here, the Rastites, the um, the the Ishmaelites. And, and then following the Euphrates River, this is the Euphrates River here. So he follows it in every town and village along the way, he blunders and destroys. Um, he went through Mesopotamia, and he battered down every, every fortress. So he just goes up and down this river, destroying everything in sight. It says he goes all the way out here to the sea. Uh, no, he doesn't come that far south down into the Holy Land then. You might think he would, but no, what he does is he just out into here, into the Arabian desert. It says he seized the territory of Cilicia, that's up here, and then he cut down everyone who resisted him. Then he proceeded to the southern borders of Japheth toward Arabia. Okay, so he's coming down through here, far, far to the east of um, the Holy Land, and devastating all the towns and cities and fortifications there, including the Midianites, who were a formidable folk. the jewish people he just laid laid them waste all right and um uh, he completely devastates all their and destroys all their flocks here in the plain he comes back up for the plain of damascus and then he stops right here just outside uh the the city of jerusalem right right in this region okay now here's the upshot let me just stop sharing the screen there you see in the maps here's there's a summary verse here Uh, I'm in verse 20, uh, 28, the end of 28. Fear and dread fell upon them all, all the inhabitants now of the coastland, those in Sidon and Tyre, those who dwelt in Sur, Ossinina, the inhabitants of Jamnia, those in Azotus and Ascalon, feared him greatly. So now all those regions, once again, um, maybe I'll just share it one more time just to show you. Too many windows open. What do I do? Okay. Share the screen. So it says all these regions here um, along the coast. So just to show you, they don't have all the towns listed here, but Tyre and Sidon, modern-day Lebanon is up here where my little pointer is. Coming down, you have Tyre and Sidon, you have Lebanon, then you have, uh, you know, Samaria. I'm sorry, you have... um, um, you have Galilee, and then Samaria, and then Jerusalem, Judah, and he's camped just outside here. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, think of Jericho. He's probably in that general region near Jericho, in the desert. Just you have to go up over the mountains to get into Jerusalem, and that's a tough climb. So he stays there and he's waiting. Again, like a think of a cat watching for a little mouse to come out from under a. Uh, a that's that's what's going on there. You've got to. Uh, <laughs> got a a real mess and they're waiting to pounce and everyone is filled with dread okay yeah now again why are we looking at all this again sometimes again we too can feel filled with dread um what do we do do we compromise uh if i don't compromise i might lose my job i might lose access i to important things i need to feed my family um It's going to get it's going to get more and more like that. I think I told you the story some years ago of a pharmacist who came to me and he said, you know, Father, we're in trouble in in the state of Washington because they're trying to force us to carry uh, abortion pills, you know, and um, every pharmacy has to carry them. And if we don't, we'll be decertified and have to close. And so, what do I do? Well, I said to him, "Well, I mean, I I think you know, I I don't live in Washington State, but I would exhaust every legal access, every legal possibility you have. Work with your diocese, your bishop, uh, go to court." But I said, "You know, at the end of the day," he said, "Well, what if I, what if none of that works, Father?" I said, "Well, you can't cooperate with evil." Well, well, what? But how will I feed my family? I said, "Well, I, I, I said, I don't know." But I—that's I, in the future. Uh, work and fight now, and um, and then uh, God will have to take care of you. But again, we never talk to people like this or ask of them any sacrifice. But it's going to—you're either going to there's just going to come a day for a lot of us, and maybe enough of us are old enough that it won't happen. But it's going to come, where again, where you either will comply or you go to jail or you get horribly fined or you you lose your ability to to to. Practice your business or your law. You, you know, they'll come after you in some way to completely, you know, and you feel powerless and scared and so on. OK, so all of these are just ways of saying this text is painting that kind of an ominous picture. But I want to remind you, they win. They win in the end. And that's why it's so easy for us to say, oh, we're not going to win. It's impossible. Let's give in and let them do it. And, you know, maybe God will have mercy on me or whatever. And again, the Lord says, no, I want you to be brave. I want you to fight evil. I want you to resist evil. You know, like those civil rights people who went out there and they, they had hot coffee and spilled on them. They had fire hoses turned on them. They spent days in jail. They lost their jobs because they would not compromise any longer with something that was evil. And they, they, that's how you win through, you see, that perseverance, that fortitude, that strength. Um, and, and again, we're often not too willing to do this, you see. And um, by the way, that's one of the things that Dr. Martin Luther King did very well. He cultivated anger, but not just to send them out to do riots, He cultivated the anger like an energy and said, you know, you got to be angry enough about something to do something about it. And I want you to use this anger to resist, not to throw rocks and hate them and retaliate. I want you to be willing to suffer, to say this will end. It will end. And uh, so that's the idea. You want to cultivate anger like an energy and a determination, not just vented as a, you know, riotous things or uh, hatred, hatred. You know, fellow people and so on. You see the idea? Okay. All right. Um, Now, comments or questions from any of you? We're gonna go into chapter three here. It's a pretty short chapter, but uh, anyone wanna make a comment or a question or?
2: Okay. I just wanna say you are really setting the groundwork though we have not heard, uh, anything for Miss Judith yet? But you are setting the groundwork is being well laid out for her. For her. Uh, from, for who? Judith.
1: Oh, Judith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she didn't come into the middle of the book.
2: That, uh, hello. That's yeah. Not being wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: And yeah, yeah, she just kind of comes in, and she's kind of like David. Well, I can't, you know, all, all this armor, all this talk. Look, I'll go take care of this. If if none of you are strong enough to do it, oh, we'll go take care of this. And she just goes, and we'll see how she does it. You know, I read you the story last week. What does she do? Well, she uses her charm. She's a wealthy widow, but very good looking, and she gets schmoozes her way into the inner circle of whole with her with her handmaid, and uh, gets to that inner circle. Is, uh, gets to know. Uh, briefly, you know, within three or four days, she gets to know Holofernes, the general, and she beheads him. He's drunk. She st- she comes mm-hmm. into his tent, and uh, he thinks he's going to have some intimacies with her, but she's, a, she's a, mm-hmm. a dignified Jewish woman. She ain't going to do that. She gets him drunk and then takes his head off okay. and drags his head back to Jer- Israel. Oh, they put it up on a pike and send the, the armies of Holofernes into a panic. That's how they win. <laughs> but, um, so Judith is on the way, but she ain't here yet, all right? Now, the question for you and me is, there may well be someone who can really champion a cause, a Dr. Martin Luther King, or someone who will champion the kind of cause we're going to need in, in days to come. He, he may be just a young child now, but he's on the way. Judith is on the way in this story. So do not despair. God will send us leaders, um, but sometimes we do have to wait a bit.
0: And Amen. Yeah, my okay. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, not not only God send us leaders, but we need leaders with moral courage, mm-hmm. like you. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of leaders, yeah, don't have more courage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're going to need that, and you're going to also need boldness to speak mm-hmm. God's word with boldness. Mm. Uh, you don't have nothing to lose. Don't worry about it. The opposition is going to come. It's going to be there. Yeah. And all those that support you, my senior, they will know right off the bat. Oh, that's one of my senior boys. That's one of my senior kids. You know what I'm saying? All because, right. Man. You know when when you know when I see <laughs> when I see the Mormons out there, right? They be out yeah. there witnessing. I Already know it. Yeah. Their uniform tells me exactly who they are.
1: All but right.
0: When I see the witnesses. I know their uniform also. Uh-oh. when I see the Muslims, I know their uni- uniform also because of what right. they preach, what they teach. You know, so <laughs> and, uh, the you we have to. I mean, those that support righteousness, and the one that's leading the charge, not mm-hmm. only is he going to be condemned and spoke out against, and try to uh, mm-hmm. uh, put a, a muzzle, a muzzle. Mm-hmm. On, you from saying what you're going to say but those that support the message that you're bringing are also going to be persecuted also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like you said i i see it it's coming. i mean yeah. they're going to do everything they can to shut god down yeah and that's the that's that's god's, god's enemy satan himself. he Lord. hates everything that god's right oh, god. and we need someone gonna speak out without any fear, without any shame, like you are yeah. like teaching on tonight. That's very important. But in the end, we got to remember we win. We got to go through some things, but in the end we win. So yeah, I checked
1: out. the Bible, uh, the last page of the book and it's still there, uh, haven't hasn't been blotted out by God. Jesus wins and all who are with him. You know, uh the other thing just to respond to something you said, um um Howard, you know, there there is this um um you know, we 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 need the um, the leaders and so on. Uh, but I I'll also say there's a lot of people that think, well, let's just go the silent route. Let's just hide out and say nothing. Well, how's that working for us? See, things just get darker and weirder and stranger, and we hardly recognize the country or the uh, you know the the churches and even even the churches that we once knew. Okay, and so how's that silence part working? It ain't working very well, you know. Now, Bob and Judy, you had a hand up there.
2: Yes, I just wanted to say, quite frankly, I think this is my favorite book of
1: the Bible. <laughs> all right, <laughs> and we're just getting started, right? <laughs> okay, all right, the reason I thought we would look at it is because it is such a powerful thing, it's almost never studied, of course, and it's a beautiful, uh, you know, summons to spiritual warfare, because we don't have guns and tanks, and we're not, that, that's not the kind of army we are, but that that's spiritual warfare, okay, and, well, let's get into chapter three now, um, just to, um, it's very short. It's only like 10 verses, and it's pretty much similar stuff. So I'll, get, I'll continue to read, just because there's a lot of weird names here towards the end. So they, now we're not talking about Israel now. We're talking about the nations to the north, modern day Lebanon. But they in those days, it was known as Tyre and Sidon and Cilicia. Um, remember when Jesus went up to Caesarea? All these areas to the north uh, along the coast. So they, those people, not the Israelites yet. So they sent messengers to sue for peace with these words. We, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, lie prostrate before you. Do with us as you will. See our dwellings and our land, our every wheat field, our flocks and herds, and all of our encampments are at your disposal. Make use of them as you please. Our city and our, their inhabitants are also in your service. Come and deal with them as you see fit. Now, in other words, they're willing to give up everything to save their hide. You know, y'all. Mm-hmm. And I, won't you, I I know that this whole COVID thing remains controversial, but I was amazed at how many people were willing to give up so many freedoms um, just not to get a bad cold. And I know it was presented as more than a bad cold, but and I nearly died from the stupid thing. But I'm just trying to say to you. You know, it's it's very amazing what fear can do to compel people to give up almost anything just to stay alive, and that's a sad place to be. I think it was Dr. Martin Luther King who put it this way. I'm sure he's yeah, I know he's quoting some others, including Plato, when he said this that if a man has not found something worth dying for, he is not fit to live. Okay. Now, chapter verse five. So after these spokesmen reached Holofernes, he, he's again the general. And gave, gave him this message. He went down with his forces to the seacoast and the garrisons and the fortified cities and took selected men from them as auxiliaries. Now, by the way, do you think he was kind because they're all oh, you can have these things and take everything? Just leave us. You know, don't kill us. The people of these cities and the inhabitants of the countryside received him with garlands and dancing around with the sound of timbrels. OK, so they're flattering him. Now what? He devastated their whole territory, cut down their sacred groves, uh, for he was allowed to destroy all the gods of the land so that every nation would worship only Nebuchadnezzar and their tongues and tribes should invoke him as a god. At length, Holofernes reached Esdralon in the neighborhood of Dothan and then approached the main ridge of the Judean mountains. And he set up the camp between Geba and Sethopolis and stayed there the whole month to replenish his supplies and his forces. So the Death Star is parked right outside of Jerusalem. Here's the scenario. If you, and, and some of you may have been to the Holy Land, I know, with me. And you may recall that Jerusalem sits up on a kind of a, a hilltop or mountaintop. It's about 1,600 feet above sea level. But then just to the east of Jerusalem, you drop off into a desert. And it drops down some 1,900 feet below sea level. So you're 35 Hundred feet down, wow! And you've got you've got mountains that are about thirty-five hundred feet to go over. Um, and there's only certain little narrow places to get through. One of them is called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Wow! Um, it's a narrow passage, and so it, it the the army is now parked down there. You've got these large mountains they've got to go over. So Holofernes parks here and spends some time replenishing his forces. And he's, you know, kind of like a, again, think of the image of a lion or uh, a cat waiting for a little mouse, or a lion waiting for a gazelle to come out from a hiding and just, just ready to pick it off. So you have the army parked there, and the the the, the terrible, you know, um, prospect of utter destruction. However, we're going to go now into chapter four, and we're going to see they see a possible way. Uh, to defend themselves Um, well let's see my own I have to pull up from this other bible hang on a second Um, my translation may be slightly different here but chapter four we won't get through all of chapter four I just want to read the beginning of chapter four so you get a flavor but so here you are you're parked let me see if I can find a picture well never mind because I'm having so many technical issues but Those of you who've been down in the Judean desert with me um, when we went to the Holy Land, you may recall, like when when we were down in Jericho, you look at those barren, rocky mountains, not a a tree on them, just barren and rocky, but very high mountains to go over. And um, these things, they didn't have buses and and a road carved through there. So the army's sitting down there, biding its time, waiting and replenishing its forces, Uh, ready to attack. So here we are. I'm going to go into chapter four, and um, we won't finish chapter four tonight, but we're going to just read the first part of it. By this time, the people of Israel, living in Judea, heard of all of the terrible things that Holofernes, the general of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Assyrians, was doing, and how he had plundered and destroyed all the towns and the temples and so on. And they were greatly terrified at his approach and were alarmed. Both for Jerusalem and for the temple of the Lord their God. For they had only recently returned from captivity. So this takes place, you know, as I say, just remember when we went through the books of, um, um, come on, come on, come on, um, where they were rebuilding the temple after the Babylonian captivity. Um, come on. Oh, terrible. Well, okay. Anyway, they just returned. But and so they're they're not in a strong condition. They don't have a huge standing army. Um, they're you know they're not in any condition to really resist this this thing this force. But anyway, verse three: for they had only recently returned from captivity in Babylon, and were uh, the people of Judea were newly gathered together, and the sacred vessels in the altar had just been consecrated after profanation. So they sent to every district of Samaria and Konam and Beth Horon and Beth Beth, uh, Beth- uh, Bel Ma'in and Jericho, and Choba, and Chesra, and the Valley of Salem. And immediately, um, they, they took all their high hilltops and fortified the villages on them, and stored up food in preparation for war, since their fields had only recently been harvested. And Jehoiakim, the high priest who was in Jerusalem at that time, wrote to the people of Bethulia, um, and, which, faces Esd- es- which faces Esdralon opposite the plain near Dothan, uh, ordering them to seize the passes up into the hills, uh, and by them a Judah, a Judea could, uh, by for, for by them Judea could be invaded. But it was easy to stop anyone who tried to enter, for, for the approach was narrow and only wide enough for two men at the most. OK. So they're going to try uh, some natural means, all right? Um, and we um, <laughs> we're, we're going to find though that well I, I i'll give you a little i'll give you a little bit of a of a hint here what's about to take place in a minute but i'm just trying to set the stage so what they've done now is remember i told you there's all these mountains of some 3500 feet high that they that the army would have to go over and you don't just go up a steep mountain you have to look for some passes and some areas where you can reasonably get through the mountain And there's only a few of them, and they're narrow. And so the people of Judah and Jerusalem are now trying to secure those passes and make them almost impassable by having uh, whatever troops and other resources they can have there so that when Holofernes tries to come up through those passes, they can just take them out um, easily because they're forced through a kind of a... um, What's that, a bottleneck? Yeah, a bottleneck, and they have to go in. And it it is said, and some of those are are so narrow that they're only two or three people wide. So you're not gonna be able to get, you're not gonna be facing a huge number of forces all at once, you just start picking them off with your, and so on. So they had this idea in mind, all right? Now, here they up the ante. Um, You may recall in the Old Testament, the prophet Balaam, And he knew that Israel was too strong to be defeated because the God of the Israelites was powerful. And if the people were faithful to him, they could not easily be defeated. But if he could render them unfaithful by getting them to marry foreign women and worship at pagan altars, they could could be weakened enough to be destroyed. Well, the same thing happens here. Uh, A certain man named Achior. Tells, speaks to Holofernes and says, this is going to be a tough one. For all the reasons stated, it's going to be hard to get up these mountains. And it's going to be uh, these narrow passes and so on. These are strong people, but what we need to do, because and they have a strong God. So what we need to do is weaken them, take them and make them sin against their God, starve them of their supplies, get them to eat forbidden foods, and weaken their relationship, help them to start making compromises with their faith, thereby weaken them, and you can take them easily. Yes. And that's what he advised yes. the Holophanes, and so they undertake this and seek to once again uh, get the people to become unfaithful to God. Now, Let's just finish on this concept tonight of spiritual warfare. We already introduced it. If the world is in darkness right now, to what can we attribute this? Well, we have no further to look than our very selves because we're supposed to be the light of the world. Now, Jesus says, you know, he says to us, you're the light of the world, which doesn't mean we're our own light. It means that we reflect his light. If we stay close to God and we refute error, and we insist on morality and goodness, the world can be in good repair. But if not, and we start compromising, then even the churches can't stand. And the world conquers us. And guess what? An awful lot of churches now are just closing. A lot of the Protestant churches have just gone right along. You want gay marriage? You got it. You want whatever you want? You got it. And they've just compromised with the world. To some degree, the Catholic church has not succumbed. But by God, we're halfway there and um there's too many priests and bishops who are compromising and playing around and uh you know we're shaking our head today thinking all this foolishness even in the church and so again the idea of satan isn't just to say well i'm going to do a head-on attack but i can bide my time i'll just weaken them i'll get them to compromise with their faith let's get them to stop going to mass let's get them to start compromising with sexual ethics and uh you know, look the other way, stay silent when people shack up before marriage or don't get married or just be quiet about abortion or gay marriage or the exaltation of, uh, you know, suicide and other forms of death. It's just just get get them to kind of goof off and uh, don't take their faith very seriously. And then they'll just be so weak, we'll just, you know, just take the place uh, uh, easily. So you see what I'm saying? It, it, In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says to the people, if your faith is not strong, you will not be strong. And, um, you know, I would have to say that most of us, I I I say us, I don't mean you're on the Bible study alone, but I mean, collectively speaking, most Christians don't really take the Bible that seriously. You know, the Lord says, look, you know, if you're in my will, ask what you will and I'll give it to you you know, but we don't, We don't really take that seriously, or we don't take all that seriously, you know, um, when Jesus warns about hell or judgment, oh, well, he doesn't really mean that, and, you know, we just, we easily today just dismiss this word, this faith, and uh, say, well, you know, you don't take that tough suit seriously, you know, and um, come on, you know, they were pretty severe in the old days there, but maybe we don't, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, have to be that outspoken, and, and we, we just, we just sort of, Brush it aside lightly. Now, look, the Lord Jesus. Nobody loves you more than the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something about Jesus. He expects to be taken seriously. He's not just the nice guy who walks around with a brick hairdo, saying nice, nice missives, and helping, helping you know, healing the children. He's the Lord. And thus saith the Lord, and He expects to be taken seriously. And if we will take him seriously and develop the courage that he will come through and he will win through for us. And but we have to be prepared to suffer. But if we will take him seriously, then the victory can be ours, but most people just don't. And so Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my teaching in this evil and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of him on the day of judgment for my father. But most people are ashamed. Most people don't want to talk about it. Amen. Most people will not speak out. They are ashamed. Okay. Or are easily shamed into silence. So you see what I'm saying? We have to decide, you know, when it comes to these things of spiritual warfare, uh, to quote again, my own father, Charlie, war is hell and things are tough all over in war, you know? And so it's, uh. It's a, it, it, takes a, it takes some resolve, but most people have not been trained today to have resolve. If anything, we've been trained out of that, and we've been told, just be nice. The essence of being a Christian is being nice, nice. I don't know if you know the origin of the word nice. It's not a very good origin. It means it's basically rooted in the Latin word, which means ignorant, stupid, an easy pushover, you know, someone who's easily overcome, you know. So in other words, kind of an ignoramus, you know. And uh so uh, we, we've turned it into a pleasant word, but it's its origins are more of ridicule. And in a way, I think it's it's returning to his original meaning. Nice guys finish last, you know. Kind of now, I when I look, there's a place to be kind and gentle. You know, don't don't bite when the bark will do, you know, you' am saying. Uh but at some point we have to have uh the spirit of a warrior in us that just said oh no oh no um this will not be taught to my children um i will resist this and i will you know and, and just go go and fight these things you see and um be outspoken and we will have to suffer you know like those civil rights you know marchers and all did they were they were the they were trained up for that stuff you know you think of um uh rosa parks it wasn't just that she happened to be on that bus one day and just kind of just was I didn't just just chose, chose not to move her seat. She was trained for that day. She was prepared for that. They. It wasn't just it didn't just happen by accident. She with others like her were trained to, to confront this evil and to be willing to take the consequences of getting arrested and stuff, you know. Um, so it wasn't just some some old lady that just haplessly kind of wandered into this. And we suddenly, this is the right place in the right time and made history. She was a trained warrior. And as I say, she had studied and prepared for that moment. Okay, because this was a a plan to begin the Montgomery bus boycott. So all I wanna say to you is that um, we have to follow these kinds of models and develop a lot more courage than most do today, most most have today. And I, I wish I could say to you, hey man, I got it going on, I'm Mr. Courageous. And I'll, we all have um, times where we're like, oh Lord, really? Do I have to speak out again? You know, that kind of a thing. So try your best, but as I say, these are the kinds of things. Now, uh, So what's coming is they're going to try to undermine the Jewish people. They realize they've got a tough military campaign. So what they're going to do is wage a spiritual campaign to undermine the faith of Israel, make them weak and easily taken. Okay. Well, I think we should end there for today. And, um, but maybe the resolve for us is to stay strong in your faith and to to maybe consider times where you haven't spoken out that maybe you should have. And you wanna know, well, how did I lose my children or grandchildren? How have they gotten so confused And, and so on? And I don't mean cast blame and reproach on yourself and walk around with some crazy morbid guilt, but where could I have maybe spoken out more? Where did I kind of let things go too far? Because I think a lot of us are beginning to wake up and realize that this idea of staying quiet and thinking, oh, well, that's just a crazy little minority group over here. Um, you know uh and I, I would say my brother priests are the most to blame, you know, too many of us, too many quiet pulpits, too too little leadership, too little outrage, you know, where we summon people to say that's wrong, see, or to point out and warn people, that's the wolf, that's the wolf, don't it have nothing to do with the wolf, you know, and so again. Pray and uh, continue to ask for strength because it's gonna take, I think, more and more strength as we go forward and um, um, to be to be willingly engaged in the Lord's campaign, okay? And you know what I think, you know, the rosary, that gospel on a string is, is one of the chief weapons of our day, a 50 round clip, right? So pray that baby <laughs> and be willing to possibly make fast and make sacrifices, you know, um, of prayer. Uh, because these are the kind of it's times like these that do require us to be willing to undertake the battle in different ways. Not of all of us can be on the point of the sword, but we can support those who are through prayer, uh, through sacrifices, fasting, pray for good leaders, pray that they stay strong and uh, you know, okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, good. So, yeah, but, uh, any quick last minute questions or we should say a prayer and,
0: yeah, um, I just want to thank you tonight for the teaching. Just continue to shake my morality according to God's word. Um, mm. uh, it starts with me first. Mm. I'm not going to say nothing about nobody else. I just know, you know, the, the fingers are pointing at me. Yeah, and uh, Jesus' first cousin, John the Baptist, he could have yeah. easily kept his mouth shut, but as soon as he opened it, he got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. a woman, she ain't like what he said.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: He had his head cut off for that, but he didn't stand on the sideline, mm-hmm. you know, with just holding a silent voice. He spoke out right. against unrighteousness. Right. You know, that was a good example, you know what how we should do. And it was a it was a young lady in Kentucky. I love this young lady. Her name was Kim Davis, she worked at the uh-huh. court of the clerk. Yeah, and, right. Oh uh, yeah. She started signing these marriage certificates for the same sex, and I think the Lord was dealing with her. <laughs> she decided mm-hmm. I'm not signing no more this stuff. This stuff is bothering my conscience. And I think mm-hmm. once you have gotten to the place where know, uh, our conscience I mean, it's like mm-hmm. anything goes now for some of us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But she, she spoke out against it and she refused to sign it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it bothered her, yep. she wanted to stand on God's side, and she got put in jail. She she got placed in jail, and you know, so exactly. Uh, Lord help us. That's all I can say. Lord help us. Yeah. And she right. faced
1: a lot of ridicule as well. I remember that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, sure. I'm upset, but okay. Well, let us pray. Who's going to pray us out? I'd like
2: to redeem myself. All right. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank
0: you. Father Amen. God, we
2: thank you and praise you and bless you yes, for Lord. this wonderful evening of study. And uh we just so grateful for the knowledge and the wisdom that you have imparted upon us this evening. Yes. And we ask you, Lord God, to watch over us as we uh, depart and to allow uh, this uh, enlightenment to, uh, to carry us for uh, the next seven days and hopeful uh, that uh, when we come back together, we'll be able to uh, share where we have grown and um, maybe even shared with others. And we thank, uh, thank you for this wonderful teacher that we have, and I'm Monsignor, and all of the individuals that we share our faith with on this Bible study. It has helped me, and I'm I'm sure it's helped others. And um, bless us and keep us, Lord God, as we part and we ask these prayers as we ask all things through your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we
0: pray. Amen. 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 Before we depart I want to say before we depart I want to wish all the mothers mm. a free happy mother's mm. day and I know the Lord's gonna bless you mothers real good because your right. children thank you. thank you thank you queens you. up to you. all <laughs> right bless I, want, the
1: Lord.
2: I want to ask you a question before we get off my after they all get off
1: all right, all right. Happy Mother's you.
2: Day, everybody! Happy Mother's right, Day, everybody! everybody. Hi. Hi. Good night, everybody. night, everybody. Good
0: night, everybody. Good night, Good night, everybody. Good night, <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good you, everybody. night, bless Good night, everybody. You, good night,
1: everybody.